Good morning. This morning, I just want to highlight, um, like uh, you all know, I work for InterVarsity. Um, so this morning, I just want to highlight we are on campus. And this is a McGill campus. Uh, at McGill campus, there are three different fellowships for undergrad students, for international students, and for grad students. Because I know we have some grad students at McGill uh, in our midst. So welcome you guys to join. Check it out on Instagram. Last night, they have a joint event, um, worship night at Newman Center. Also want to thank you for your partnership with us and your donation for the Thanksgiving Student Scholarship happened last month. And some of you even go all the way, drive the students to the campsite. So I want to thank you. That means a lot to the students. This morning, Esther. Let me recap uh, from chapter 1 and 2 for you. So King Ahasuerus, or King Jerxi, was a powerful king who ruled over 127 provinces, from India to Ethiopia. He was a bad king because he does not restrain his own desire, and he let other people to tell him what to do and how to lead the empire. In conclusion, in chapter 10, the narrator is highlighting Mordecai has been lifted up to the highest leadership with the Persian king. Not because he is smart or a strong political leader, but in verse 3 tells us, because he continued to work for the good of his people and to speak up of the welfare of all his descendants. Also, to live faith in the book of Esther is about obeying God's command from Prophet Jeremiah. Make yourself at home at Babylon and work for the country's welfare. Pray for Babylon's well-being. If things go well for Babylon, things will go well for you. Also, the invisible God from chapter 1 and 2 show us his presence with Esther in the king's palace. Reading Book of Esther, we want to read it as a wisdom literature, like Proverbs, and Pastor Joel called the uncommon sense. And this morning, we will see the uncommon sense Queen Esther has. Let us pray. Father, Son, and your Holy Spirit, the book of Esther is the living word. It is not merely a moral story, nor a book of information. Scripture has been read out loud for thousands of years to shape the church's desire, to correct your people's hearts, and to bring all nations to you. This morning, we seek after you, the Father, and the transformative power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I like to start always with a question. This morning, two questions. Recall the last time you are being asked to use wisdom. For example, be wise with your money. Oh, be wise with your career choice. Or be wise with which CJAP you choose.
My question one, what is those wisdom for? Second, whom is the wisdom benefiting? So again, think about last time you've asked to use the wisdom. Question one, who, what is it the wisdom for? And whom is the wisdom benefiting? Respond and stay in the back of your mind as we go through chapter three from Esther. Verse one and six. Sometimes later, King Xerxes promoted Haman, son of Mattathias, the Hagagites, over all the other nobles, making him the most powerful official in the empire. All the king's officials would bow down before Haman to show him respect whether he passed by, for the king had commanded. But Mordecai refused to bow down or show him respect. Then the palace officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, Why are you obeying the king's command? They spoke to him day after day, but still he refused to comply with the order. So they spoke to Haman about this to see if he would tolerate Mordecai's conduct, since Mordecai had told them he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not bow down or show him respect, he was filled with rage. He had learned of Mordecai's nationality, so he decided it was not enough to lay hand on Mordecai alone. Instead, he looked for a way to destroy all the Jews throughout the empire of King Xerxes. Now, Haman's promotion to the highest of the official is a sharp contrast, if you remember last chapter 2, to the absence of pro a promotion of Mordecai after he has saved the king's life by stopping the attempt assassination in chapter 2. Also, here in verse 1, it tells us Haman is the Hagagite. From history, we know there has been hostility between Israel and Amalek, which is in the nation of King Hagar. You can read it from Deuteronomy, Exodus, and 1 Samuel. Scholar Joyce Bowen noted that that seems to have been a general lack of respect for Haman, otherwise there should not should have been no need for a royal command that people should bow down to him. Verse five: Haman was filled with rage because of one person. Now he's sorting to destroy the people group of Mordecai. Again, it makes me think of the movie John Wick, <laughs> because of one dark killing. And then now you have three movies. And this is Haman, just one Jew. Again, Haman seeking to destroy the people group by stopping is, a, is another contrast to Mordecai and Esther, who sought the welfare of the king by stopping the eunuchs who sought to destroy. As you see, this morning passage will be a lot of contrast. Let's continue, verse 7 to 11. 
So in the month of April, during the 12 years of King Xerxes' reign, lots were cast in Haman's presence. The lots were called Purim to determine the best day and month to take action. And the day selected was March 7th, nearly a year later. Then Haman approached King Xerxes and said, there's a certain race of people scattered through all the provinces of your empire who keep themselves separate from everyone else. Their laws are different from those of any other people, and they refuse to obey the laws of the king. So it is not in the king's interest to let them live. If it pleased the king, issue a decree that they would be destroyed and I will give 10,000 large sacks of silver to the government administration to be deposited in the royal treasury. The king agreed, confirming his decision by removing his signet ring from his finger and giving it to Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Hagagah, the enemy of the Jews. The king said, the money and the people are both yours to do with as you see fit. So in verse 7, per, the lot, it's not as suspicious or as superstitious as we may perceive. In fact, in Proverbs 16, verse 33, asserts, the lot is cast into the lap, but it is every decision is from the Lord. Now, Haman start his evil plan by deceiving the king. Verse 8, there's a certain race of people. He's not even naming who are they. And followed by three selling points. Scholar Joyce call a mixture of truth, a half-truth, and a lie. The truth, they scatter through all the province of your empire who keep themselves separate from everyone else. The half-truth, their laws are different from those of any other people. The lie, they refuse to obey the laws of the king. Haman's mixtures of truth, half-truth, and lie would be considered wise in terms of his career pursuit. Now back to my two questions. What is Haman's wisdom for? For continuing the hostility between Israel and Malachi. Second question, whom is benefiting, whom the wisdom benefiting? Haman, his ego. Also, I don't have to convince you that you can tell what people value by seeing what they spend their money on. Haman is spending 10,000 large sacks of silver to continue the hostility. Historians estimate that it's among two-thirds of the annual income of the whole Persian Empire an enormous amount 
And it worked. The king agreed the deal and without even knowing who the people were to be destroyed. We pray we will not live such, under such a king. Continue verse 12 to 15. So on April 17th, the king's secretaries were summoned, and a decree was written exactly as Haman dictated. It was sent to the king's highest official and the government, governors of the respective provinces. And the noble of each province had their own scripts and own languages. The decree was written in the name of King Xerxes and sealed with the king's signet ring. The patches were sent by swift messengers into all the provinces of the empire, giving the order that all Jews, young and old, including women and children, must be killed, slaughtered, and annihilated on a single day. That was scheduled to happen on March 7th of the next year. The property of the Jews would be given to those who kill them. A copy of this decree was to be issued as law in every province and proclaimed to all people. So that would be ready to do their duty on the appointed day. At the king's command, the decree went out by swift messenger, and it was also proclaimed in the fortress of Susa, the capital of the Persia. Then the king and Haman sat down and drank. But the city of Susa fell into confusion. April 17th, or some other translation will say the 13th day of the first month, is the day actually, before all the Jews are slaying the Passover lamb for the feast of Passover the next day. They must wonder, can our God not save us in an equally decisive way from death under King Xerxes as under Pharaoh? Now, an decree was issued, the words, all, each, and every echo the language of the decree in chapter 1, that every man shall be master in their own house as they desired. Haman intended the ruin of an other entire ethnic group. No king has ever allowed such destruction to the exiled Israelites. Then the narrator turned the camera to the king and Haman, who sat down to have a drink. And again, the book of Esther, drink represents banquets without restraint. Contrast to the city. The city, the capital of Susa, fell into confusion. One scholar wrote, it may be that the Susan Gentiles were severely distressed at the thoughts that their streets will be flowed with the blood of the Jew, who had been peacefully living in their midst. I would hope the people of Brassar fell into confusion 
if Quebec's government passed a bill to put all Chinese Canadians into prisons. Now, chapter four. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, he torn his clothes, put into burlap and ashes, and went out into the city and crying aloud and bitter wail. He went as far as the gates of the palace, for no one was allowed to enter to the palace gates while wearing clothes of mourning. And as news of the king's decree reaches all the provinces, there was great mourning among the Jews. They fast, weep, and wailed. And many people lay in burlaps and ashes. When Queen Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai, she was deeply distressed. She sent clothes to him to replace the burlap, and, but he refused it. Then Esther sent for Hathak, one of king's eunuch, and who has been appointed as her attendant. She ordered him to go to Mordecai and find out what was troubling him and why he is in mourning. What you see here is a public and collective mourning with noticeable burlap and ashes. It would be like protest, demonstration across all the provinces. The narrator did not tell us why King, uh, Queen Esther is not aware of the decree of full-scale destruction, yet the author gave us great detail of the back-and-forth communication between Esther and Mordecai with the help of Hathak, a non-Jew. The story continues, verse 6 to 11. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the square in front of the palace gate. Mordecai told him the whole story, including the exact amount of money Haman has promised to pay into the royal treasury of the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai gave Hathak a copy of the decree issued in Susa and called for the death of all Jews. He asked Hathak, to show it to Esther and explain the situation to her. He also asked Hathak to direct her to go to the king to beg for mercy and plead for her people. So Hathak returned to Esther with Mordecai's message. Then Esther told Hathak to go back and relay the message to Mordecai. All the king's officials and even the people in the province know that everyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited, it's doomed to die. Unless the king holds out the golden scepter. And the king has not called for me to come to see him for 30 days. Now, Hathak. In this short view verses, repeated six times, a Persian official 
non-Jew, a king's appointed eunuch, of whom Esther and Mordecai have entrusted. Mordecai told him the whole story, gave him a copy of the decree. He is the only messenger for Esther and Mordecai. Let's pause for a moment and think about your colleagues, your neighbors, your classmates. Do we look at them and only see them as non-Christians? And therefore, we do not share our struggle or our difficulties with them. Or is it possible they care about you and your community too? Just as the city of Susa fell into confusions, and non-Jew was involved in the well-being of the Jews. Unquestionably, the author of Esther considered Hathach a person deserved to be named and remembered in the story of the divine deliverance. Now, Esther's dilemma, it's the dilemma of all of us we face sometimes. Circumstances we are in, everyone knows the rule. You know the supervisor, our hands are tight. Therefore, we conclude there's nothing we can change. So, like Esther, have I been called by the king? Is this my responsibility? No, I have not been called. True, Esther has not been called by the king, but she has received another call. Go to the king to beg for mercy, plead for her people. Like Moses is to Pharaoh, Esther is to King Xerxes, pleading deliverance from the destruction of her people. Last session of this morning's story, verse 12 to 17. So Hathak gave Esther's message to Mordecai. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you are in the palace and you will escape when all other Jews were killed. Because you keep silence at this time, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My mate and I will do the same. Then, though it is against the law, I will go to see the king. If I must die, I must die. So Mordecai 
went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Mordecai expands Esther's dilemma. Don't think of for a moment because you are in a palace, you will escape. Here we see Mordecai's faith in God's sovereignty is, in, is in, implicit. Verse 14, if you keep quiet a, mo a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise for some other place. Mordecai is saying God will save his people one way or the other. But this is Esther's opportunity to live out her faith for the welfare of others. In the face of the dilemma, we, continue, we consider Esther quickly replied with an action plan. Go and gather all the Jews and hold a fast. Esther is an example of last week's sermon. Can you be corrected, trained, or taught? Proverbs 15, 32. If you listen to a constructive criticism, you will be at home among the wise. Esther is truly among the wise. When the queen listened to her lower rank uncle's constructive criticism. Fasting for three days is longer than the usual one-day fast, which indicates Esther is not taking this action lightly. And her mates, non-Jews, are participating in the fast fasting, just as Hethak, Esther's Persian's ally, are actively seeking the welfare of the Jews. What's Mordecai's response to Esther's leadership? He did everything as Esther had ordered him. In conclusion, first, what was your response to the two questions in your own life? What usually the wisdoms for? Whom is the wisdom benefiting? What were your response? Was the wisdom used for self-protection? Protecting my money, my job, meaning my security? And the wisdom is benefiting me. Even you may say benefiting my family, my company, but look deeper, sometimes, my ego. Contrasting to Queen Esther's wisdom, her uncommon sense is for the welfare and is benefiting for others. In fact, her wisdom is self-sacrifice. If I die, I must die. Second, Esther's wisely trusting her God and her people and her allies. Holding a fast for three days to call out to God, gathering all the Jews in Susa. 
and relying on the Persian Hathak and her maids to reveal the evil plan of Haman. Her fasting is followed by an action plan, contrasting my fasting or my prayer, followed by inaction. I will do, I will act unless I see a burning bush. Well, lastly, Joe, Pastor Joe said, Proverbs is closing in first, uh, sorry, Proverbs 3, 5. Trusting in the Lord with all your hearts, do not depend your own understanding. This morning, show us our own understandings or our own wisdom has a great tendency to protect our own security and benefits our own ego. Verse 6, Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Let me say it clear. God's will in your life, all of you, I'm sure you want to know, it always has to do about loving others as yourself. And the path here includes the path of self-sacrifice. This morning, our King Jesus calls you. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me, like Queen Esther. Boy, so much to think about there. Would you stand with me, please? And we're going to close the service in prayer and give you a chance to uh, just to think a little bit. I don't know about you, but I couldn't help but think about the situation uh, around the world and all of the, wow, folks, there's so much tension. And, uh, you know, thousands of years later, we still we still see the same sentiments that we see in this book of Esther and many, many applications there, Shu uh, Yin. Why is it that you pick these little obscure characters? I never thought of Hathak. So now you've got me thinking about this. I have to reread the story and look at this fellow. And so there's many things there, folks. And I so appreciate um, the depth at which uh, you have studied this book of Esther. So this is one of those messages that you might want to rewatch with a cup of tea, folks, because there's a lot of stuff in there. Uh, that is uh, really good applications for your life. Father, I pray for each person who's here today in the name of Jesus, those who are watching online. And uh, Lord, uh, it's just incredible that all of this time has passed and yet we look into the pages of this story and see so many things that we can we can grab hold of and, uh, and use today for our own practical lives. For those of us that were, were out there in the marketplaces and in the schools and we're with many people of many different kinds of beliefs, uh, would, would, would we allow them to be a haythak to us? Uh, Lord, would the wisdom that we seek be used for our own glory 
or would it be used for the benefit of others? Would it be a self-sacrificing kind of wisdom? Lord, would we be people who would take advice and take correction from people of lesser place in life or lesser supposed authority that we think that we have? And so many things, God. So I pray that uh, above all things, you would help us to be followers of Christ, to take up that cross and to uh, put that ego uh, to death and to seek your face and to love you with all of our hearts and soul and our minds and our strength and to truly to love our neighbors as ourselves. That's the message of the Christmas story. Help us to live it. God, we pray together. Amen. Amen. God bless you today. Musicians, you want to come up and play, do whatever you want. No problem. You give us some music on the way out. Don't uh, rush, folks. You can still sign up to be a volunteer on the 3rd of December and also for our Christmas party. And I encourage you to visit with Xu Yin. She's over there. I do see Marie-Jose Mann is here. You want to say hello to her and visit. That will be great as well. God bless you. Remember, pick up your kids in the party rooms across the hall. Have a great Sunday, everyone.
Scripture say, This is our 